everyone. It's our on bike spot on. Kind of. Hi, everyone. Oh, wow, look at this working. <laughs> okay, uh, on a beautiful rainy day, you're gathered here to talk about Public Utilities Commission items that we have in front of us today. Madam Secretary, please um, call the first item. Uh, roll call. Oh, uh, roll call, please, yes. President Jeremy? Aye. Here. Vice President Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Here. Commissioner Rivera? Here. Commissioner Stacy? Here. You have a quorum. Due to the ongoing COVID-19 health emergency and given the public health recommendations issued by the San Francisco Department of Public Health and the emergency orders of the governor and the mayor concerning social distancing and lifting the restrictions on teleconference, this meeting is being held via teleconference and is being televised by SFGTV. For those of you watching the live stream, please be aware that there is a brief time lag between the live meeting and what is being viewed on SFGTV. On behalf of the commission, I would like to extend our thanks to SFGTV staff and SFPUC IT staff for their assistance during this meeting. If you wish to make public comment on an item, dial 1-415-655-0001, meeting ID 2487-556-5294, pound pound. To raise your hand to speak, press star three. Please note that you must limit your comment to the topic of the agenda item being discussed unless you are speaking under general public comment. And to remind you, if you do not stay on the topic, the chair can interrupt and ask you to limit your comment to the agenda item. We ask that public comment be made in a civil and respectful manner and that you refrain from the use of profanity. Please address your remarks to the commission as a whole and not to individual commissioners or staff. Before calling the first item, I would like to announce that San Francisco Public Utilities Commission acknowledges that it owns and are stewards of the unceded land located within the ethno-historic territory of the Moakma Ohlone tribe and other familial descendants of the historic federally recognized Mission San Jose Verona Band of Alameda County. The SFPUC also recognizes that every citizen residing uh, within the greater Bay Area has and continues to benefit from the use and occupation of the Moakma Ohlone tribes or Aboriginal lands. Since before and after the San Francisco Public Utility Commission's founding in 1932, it is vitally important that we not only recognize the history of the tribal land on which we reside, but also we acknowledge and honor the fact that the Moakma Ohlone people have established a working partnership with SFPUC and our productive and flourishing member within the many greater San Francisco Bay Area communities today. Madam President, please um, call the first item. First item is item number three, adopt renewed findings under state urgency legislation to allow hybrid in-person meetings during the COVID-19 emergency and direct the commission secretary to agendize a similar resolution at a commission meeting within the next 30 days. Could we have a public comment, please? Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number three, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present to provide comment on this item? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do we have any callers with their hands raised for item number three? Uh, Madam Secretary, there is one caller in the queue. Caller, this is for item number three. Hello, caller, I've opened your line. You have two minutes to comment on item number three. Uh, 
Thank you, uh, Chair Ajami and uh, commissioners. My name is Barry Nelson with the Golden State Salmon Association. Uh, I'm just uh, uh, calling in during public comment to introduce myself and our coalition. I'm sorry, Mr. Nelson. Mr. Nelson. I'm sorry, this is for item number three, adoption of state urgency legislation. Oh, I, uh, I apologize. I thought I heard, I heard, thought I heard you say public comment. I'll wait. Thank you. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on item number three is closed. Colleagues, I kind of have a motion and a second. Move to approve. Second. Madam Secretary, Cruz, please call the roll. President Ajami? Aye. Vice President Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. Commissioner Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. You have five ayes. Item passes. Uh, Madam Secretary, please uh, call the next item. Next item is item number four, approval of the minutes of the special meeting of October 24th of 2022. Colleagues, any comments? On the minutes, can we have public comment, please? Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number four, approval of the minutes, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the present public present who wish to provide comment on item number four? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there is one caller in the queue. Hello, caller, I've opened your line. You have two minutes. You can hear me okay? Loud and clear. Excellent, David Bilpel. Uh, so I was unable to reach the commission secretary this morning, but I will uh, share with her some incredibly minor non-substantive uh, edits after the meeting or tomorrow on five separate pages. But I think given the amount of uh, public comment uh, at the last meeting and some of the technical issues, I think she did a fine job of uh, summarizing uh, what happened. So. Uh, good minutes, and I will share the non-substantive uh, edits uh, shortly. Thanks for listening. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on item four is closed. Thank you. Colleagues, can I have a motion and a second on this item? Moved. Second. Madam Secretary, please um, take the call. Take a roll. President Maxwell, or President Ajami? Aye. Vice President Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. Commissioner Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. You have five ayes. Item passes. Um, Madam Secretary, please call the next item. Next item is number item number five, general public comment. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of general public comment on matters that are within the commission's jurisdiction and are not on today's agenda, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present to provide general public comment? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have callers with your hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are five callers in the queue. Hello, caller. I've opened your line. You have two minutes. You can hear me okay? Sounds good. Great. David Philpel again. Uh, so five uh, quick points. Uh, following up on a comment uh, that I made at the last meeting, I understand and I see from some of the calendar items that there is new PUC letterhead. I'm overjoyed. Uh, next item, I enjoyed the uh, Revenue Bond Oversight Committee uh, tour of the Oceanside uh, Treatment Plant uh, last uh, Friday morning. I hadn't been out there in a while. Brand new building with the uh, recycled uh, water uh, facility that I did not 
uh, visit, but I will in the future. Um, anyway, the tour was great. Um, next, I was not able to give public comment at the end of the last meeting on items 16, 17, and 18, but I assure you that my comments would not have changed the outcome, and it's fine. Um, next, I note the apparent water main break uh, yesterday afternoon at Union and Fillmore and the quick repair work uh, done by the CDD uh, crews despite the uh, difficult uh, work environment and the weather. And finally, I note the overnight and expected rainfall, which is good on the water side and the effect on the wastewater uh, treatment plants and process as well. Um, that's all I have for general public comment. Thanks for listening. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. The commission, commissioners, I would like to talk about uh, huge developments by Lake Merced and some other huge developments in the city that are planned without we doing a sound needs assessment. So we talk about uh, conservation, and yet uh, we think we can provide sewer and clean drinking water to over six, 7,000 new units. I don't know how that jives with your logic. Uh, at Lake Merced, where they are planning to build 3,000 new units, already over 1,100 units are empty and have been empty. So what type of needs assessment has been done by the general manager and the commission? We cannot authorize such development without having in mind conservation. And we also have to be mindful, as has happened, that we are not upgrading our existing clean water pipes. We just had a main break recently. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, I've opened your line. You have two minutes. Eileen Bogan, Coalition for San Francisco Neighborhoods, speaking on my own behalf. I would like to thank staff for their graciousness and their professionalism during the November 4th tour of the Oceanside Treatment Facility. The existing infrastructure is partially built beneath the zoo, which is on Reckon Park land and fully beneath the National Guard facility, which is on federal land. This seems to indicate that a number of jurisdictional issues have already been worked out. Since the new recycled water facility had to be built on three levels at the Oceanside facility, this seems to indicate that the site is fully built out. This begs the questions, would any future PUC horizontal expansion be under the site of the former Fleischacker pool on Redding Park land, which is now being used as a parking lot for the zoo. Would a vertical expansion include the National Guard site? The outfall pipe from the Oceanside facility extends four and a half miles into the Pacific 
and is partially within the Monterey Bay National Marine Sanctuary boundaries. This also seems to indicate that this jurisdictional issue has already been worked out. This begs the question, how would this play out with the potential designation of a new Golden Gate National Marine Sanctuary in the waters off Ocean Beach in the current exclusion area of the Monterey Bay National Marine Sanctuary? Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. Uh, thank you. I'm Dave Warner from Palo Alto. Uh, thank you for your service. I'll wait to thank you for item 7C until we get to that item. A topic that's not been examined closely is our water rates. I understand our wholesale water rates, now in the range of $2,000 per acre foot, are one, the highest in the state of any major water supplier. I also understand that two, they are projected to increase 50% or more in the next 10 years. I'm not certain of these two points, but as commissioners, you should know how our water rates today compare to other agencies and where they are projected to be 10 years from now. Please consider asking staff to update you on our water rates. I think the update should cover, one, how our water rates compared today to other major suppliers in California, two, where our water rates are expected to be 10 years from now, and what assumptions, including levels of demand, are those rates based on, three, how different levels of demand affect our water rates, four, how the WISIP bonds affect our water rates and for how far in the future. Perhaps this point could be its own agenda item. Five, how funding for alternative water supplies would affect our water rates. All these points seem like important knowledge fundamental to issues and decisions that we face. If water rates are on a steep upward path, that can affect how we pay for alternative water supplies. If the WISIP bonds will be paid off in the next decade, that could mean opportunities for additional funding. If reduced demand causes our water rates to go up even more, should we be understanding that relationship? Uh, not to bring in the design drought model, but the length of the design drought affects supply planning, which in turn affects water rates. This should all be understood. Please consider asking staff to provide an update on water rates and address these items if you don't already know the answers. I certainly don't. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. Hi, this is Barry Nelson with Golden State Salmon Association. Again, I apologize for jumping the gun earlier. Um, I just am calling uh, this, uh, well, uh, immediately during general public comment, and I'll testify later on item 7C, uh, to welcome Commissioner Stacy to the commission. Uh, Golden State Salmon Association is headquartered in San Francisco. We represent the entire California salmon fishing community. Um, uh, that community is facing enormous and growing challenges because our salmon runs, as you'll hear later today, are in deep trouble. Uh, that's part of a much larger crisis facing the Bay Delta ecosystem uh, and Central Valley Rivers. Um, uh, our groups and our allies are doing a great deal of work um, to address that. Um, flows issues are a major part of that. Uh, and over the last several years, we've, we've appeared before the PUC many times to talk about uh, the, the PUC's position on ecosystem protection and science, um, while we also have been working to ensure that the PUC has reliable water supplies. Uh, Commissioner Stacey, welcome to the commission. We look forward to working with you, and you'll hear from a number of us later on today when we get to item 7C. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you, item five, general public comment is closed.
Thank you. Um, Madam Secretary, please uh, call the next item. Next item is item number six, communications. Colleagues, any comments uh, about the communications provided by the staff? I personally want to thank everybody for lots of interesting information, especially on the, uh, I really uh, appreciated reading um, the reports provided by the power side on um, uh, solar panels and, uh, uh, and uh, demand and uh, supply sort of balance that we are dealing with. So I appreciate all of that. Thank you so much. Um, do we need public comment? Okay, yes. thank you. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number seven, communications, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present to provide comment on item number, I'm sorry, it's item number six, not seven, item number six. Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised for item number six? Madam Secretary, there is one caller in the queue. Hello, caller, your line is open. You have two minutes to comment on item number six. Great, uh, David Pilpel, just a, a brief comment on item uh, 6C. I think I had uh, related at a uh, previous meeting that I was concerned that some uh, report to the Board of Supervisors was provided to the commission, but something like a month late. Uh, this report to the board was provided at the next available commission meeting, which is today, and so I appreciate the timeliness of the uh, copy of the communications to the uh, commission. That's all. Thanks very much. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on item six is closed. Excellent. So if there are any more comments, uh, Madam Secretary, please call the next item. Next item is item number seven, report of the general manager. Thank you, Madam Secretary. Uh, item 7A is a drought condition update from Steve Ritchie. Uh, good afternoon, Commission. Good afternoon, Commissioner. Steve Ritchie. Um, I hope the the microphone is coming through well. It seems like it is in the room. Um, I'm going to provide again uh, the drought conditions update uh, that I always do, uh, including uh, what's happening in the, in the last day or so. Hello. Okay. Um, our reservoir storage, uh, again, is, um, uh, hasn't changed very much. Uh, at this point, uh, we're not seeing a lot of runoff right now. The um, Hetchy uh, storage is about 73%, which is about normal this time of year. Water bank, again, is down at about 45%, so that is the one particular concerning item uh, on this uh, slide. Um, the other California reservoirs, uh, again, the um, project reservoirs for the State Water Project and the Central Valley Project, uh, Shasta and Oroville are at about 31% of capacity, Folsom's about 30% of capacity, uh, San Luis is about 25% of capacity. So uh, throughout California, the state and federal water projects uh, are short on storage, uh, and that is of concern to the state for sure. 
Um, the California Drought Monitor, this picture hasn't changed very much, uh, and actually maybe it'll change a little bit uh, next week when we uh, see the results of, uh, of the storm that's coming through. Um, again, this report was prepared October 31st, so you see on the Hetch Hetchy precipitation, uh, the line is flat there along the bottom. Uh, actually, Hetchy precipitation that we expect through the end of the day today uh, is about two inches uh, of rain, so that, that's good. And, and an inch of rain uh, at the upper, higher country is about a foot of snow. So, but we're not really getting snow at Hetch Hetchy, but two inches of rain there from this storm, which starts to bump it up uh, and kick off the air. Uh, on the next slide, this shows uh, how dismal October was with 0.07 inches. Uh, but again, by the end of the day today, the six station index looks to be at about two and a quarter inches. So uh, we're through the first week of November and we're already about two thirds of the way to normal for this time of year. So that's a good thing. Uh, I haven't got any updated numbers for the Bay Area precipitation index, but similarly, uh, I'll, I'll speak, you know, personally for my house in, in Oakland. It started raining at midnight last night, and it didn't stop until noon today. So uh, I think we've gotten a nice little shot in the arm from this storm. And on the snowpack front, uh, from this storm, we're probably seeing uh, a foot or maybe two at the high elevations. The snow level is down to about 4,000 feet. Uh, which is just above Hetch Hetchy, so uh, again, a good start to the air. I know Tioga Pass is closed for traffic now. Uh, there's actually a winter storm warning out for travel, so we're seeing snow throughout the Sierra uh, because this storm is actually covering all the way from Chico to Bakersfield, so it's a, a good shot for the state overall. On the water available to the city, uh, we see there's very little uh, coming in October, but from this storm, we're going to start to see more uh, in the system. Uh, and as a result of this, the state board uh, last week suspended curtailments on the 12 New River diversions. Uh, so we are able now to begin diverting water again because there's actually water in the streams. And so last year in October, they started, they suspended the curtailments and actually didn't reinstate them until. Uh, sometime uh, early in the spring, I believe it was. Uh, so we'll see how it goes over the next couple of weeks. Uh, but if the, uh, uh, if the stream flow continues, the curtailments will stay suspended. Uh, at least that's, that's, that's the way it worked last year. Uh, and this is the precipitation forecast. Uh, again, it shows the last week and uh, the current week, uh, there's definitely a lot of activity there. You see the nice red and orange colors uh, down into California, which is uh, what we've been missing for a long time. So uh, the week after this, maybe not so much, but uh, at least for right now, uh, we're benefiting from these storms. Uh, and lastly, again, the, the slide is probably the most important about all of these uh, is in uh, uh, the demand, uh, so total deliveries. So this shows us at 186 million gallons per day. Uh, this is also tracking pretty close to 2015. I just saw the latest from last Friday and it's dropped down to 171 million gallons per day this week. So it is tracking very closely to 2015. So we're, we're doing as well as we did in the last drought over the last uh, 
uh, last 10 weeks or so. And so that's been a good sign. Again, uh, we're doing well below 2020 and well below, way below 2013. So those are good signs. Uh, but again, uh, looking to next year, we'll see where we are. Uh, you know, late November, early December, uh, and then start talking in, you know, early January about what do we do next, if anything. Uh, if we're seeing a lot of precipitation, that'll be good. If we're not, we're going to be talking seriously with our wholesale customers about alternatives to managing our supply through the coming year. And I'd be happy to answer any questions. Colleagues, any questions for Ms. Rich? I have a question. Mm -hmm. um, is there any way in this in the slide that we have we show the precipitation, um, monthly precipitation versus um, average the mm -hmm. bar charts? Is there any way we can have a bar chart that um, shows from 2000 till now? I'm just wondering how these patterns are changing or if they are at all changing. Um, would that be possible? Um, yeah, we can we can show lots of different things. Uh, actually, I just saw some very interesting data yesterday that for the three-month period, I believe it was January through March, uh, if you look at uh, the last, you know, last month, 2021 literally had the lowest three months uh, in that period than we've ever had before. Uh, and it was it was and it was by a lot too. Right. So it was very little precipitation in that time. So that's the kind of data that we we will start to share more and more with the commission, Thank showing you. that things are changing out there. Right. Yeah. And it will be good to sort of, sort of see the bars and see how those trends are sort of month to month. I mean, again, this is one data point, one you know one way of showing it. But it will be good to have different yeah. ways of looking at it. The Thank the, you. the other uh, another graph that I saw on that showed know how we uh, assess probability of what's going to happen yep. and so we have all of our period of record uh, and interestingly enough on one end there was 2021 which mm -hmm. was off the chart and on the other end there was 2017 which was off, off the, the chart, chart. so right. the extremes are definitely what we're starting to see sure. I mean those bars would be great to see too maybe maybe a Okay, we are not going we'll, to make it. We'll see what we can do. Yes, you know, that playing, playing with data it, it takes some work but uh, we can do things. Fantastic. Thank you, Mr. Ritchie. Oh, go ahead, please. Commissioner yeah, just Paulson. one quick question, Mr. Ritchie, and this is very anecdotal. I don't know if I saw this yesterday or this morning. It was yesterday in the, either the LA Times or the Chronicle or you know some mass piece that was obviously in the public, but there was some anecdote where somebody said, oh, we've saved 20 billion gallons. And I forget where that was or if you saw it or if anybody saw it. But yeah, it in was context, a, what, how, 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 would, how would that be interpreted to yeah, a was, commissioner or just somebody sitting there watching the World yeah. Series? It was in the LA Times. I, I saw it just before I came here and I think it was uh, six billion gallons or something like yeah, that, but, six, but yeah. billions of gallons. And that's right. When you're talking about a large service area, because that's what they had to do in uh, northwestern Los Angeles because all they could get is state project water and so they really had to conserve a lot and so they did that. I think for our system so far this year, for our system as a whole, uh, I believe the number is about 3 billion gallons that we've saved uh, during this, this time period. So yeah, people are saving a lot of water in total. That kind of could have been a brag piece for LA because they've been hit so hard with the yeah, the, they, they the, were hit the really hard, so they had to call for like a 35% reduction, and people responded. Got it. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Okay.
Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item 7A, the drought condition update, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present to provide comment on 7A? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there is one caller wishing to be recognized. Hello, caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. Commissioners, uh, it would be nice from time to time for us to invite uh, the local tribes from the region to give their comment on the situation at hand and also show photographs of the Tuolumne River because for millions of years and thousands of years, the tribes preserved and protected the rivers. And when we talk about the river, any aspect of the river, you have to talk about the salmon. And we don't do that. And we have to talk about the river and who were the owners for 23,000 years, that's referring to the tribes, and give respect and honor to the salmon. If we don't do that, we'll fall flat on our faces. And that's what we do. We steal the land, we steal the water, we talk about, you know, how much we saved, but we don't follow the Raker Act. If you follow the Raker Act, if you read the Raker Act, you should see, like, who is using the water. All we care about is selling the water to the highest bidder. In other words, we are greedy. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on item 7A is closed. Uh, item 8, excuse me, item 8B is a quarterly audit and performance review report. and. I'd actually just like to take the opportunity to see two people coming up, two relatively recent hires, and I just wanted to, uh, many of you have seen uh, Nancy Homs, a deputy um, CFO for the agency, but we were very proud over the summer to have promoted her to be the CFO and Assistant General Manager for Business Services, and we are so happy that um, uh, she agreed to take the job. And I know that she's, for all of you that have had the opportunity to deal with her before, you've seen nothing but professionalism. And um, that's what I think uh, impressed me uh, and, and the panel so much in, in, uh, during the interview process. So we're very, very happy to have uh, Nancy in that new position. I'll let her say a few words and introduce uh, our next presenter. So the kind words, um, Nancy Hom, I started Three months ago, I've had the pleasure of serving in the city and county of San Francisco for almost 18 years, five with the controller's office and then the child support office. Last 13 have been with the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission, working in audits and governance, and more recently um, in finance for the past five years. So I really look forward to continuing working with you. Um, and if you have any questions, you're always welcome to contact me, and I will be reaching out with, to you soon also as well. Thank you. And so welcome. I'd like to introduce Irella Blackwood. She is the audit director for the quarterly audit and performance review report.
And before we get started, Commissioner, some of you have had the opportunity to work with Irela in her new position. Some of you haven't because you're new, but we're also lucky to have her as a relatively new addition to our executive team. And for those of you who don't know her, I'll let her share a little bit about her background because she served in a variety of positions in city government at different agencies. And we're so lucky to have her here at the PUC as well. And she has the best laugh, too. So she always has nothing but good humor and an incredible professional. Thank you, commissioners. Welcome, new commissioner Stacy and Commissioner R Rivera. Uh, my name is Irella Blackwood, uh, audit director for the SFPUC. I started here in the city over 12 years ago in the controller's office as um, a part of city services auditor, as audit manager. Um, from there, I be began to um, go to the tax collector's office. I was the chief auditor there, and I was also recently at the MTA as the capital projects and grants accounting manager. So thank you so much for having me today. Um, I'm here to present uh, the first quarter uh, audit updates for the Audit Bureau for the fiscal year. Uh, in the first quarter, um, four audits, or 14% of the portfolio for the year have been completed. Uh, 15 or 54% of the portfolio for the year are in progress. And nine or 32% of the audits in the portfolio are upcoming. Um, for the audits that were issued for the first quarter. They included the calendar year post-audit issued by the Office of the Controller um, on August 1st, and the SFPEC audit annual physical inventory count issued by the SFPEC finance team that was issued on September 7th, 2022, which covered water, wastewater, and Hetch Hetchy. The Audit Bureau is actively monitoring open audit recommendations throughout the agency to ensure the recommendations are on track to be addressed and fully implemented by their respective deadlines. Currently, of the seven total recommendations issued for the social impact um, program, four remain open, which external affairs is actively addressing. Three of those recommendations have been implemented and fully closed by the Office of the Controller City Services Auditor. The two recommendations for the revenue bond funds audit are on track for implementation, and the Audit Bureau is in communication with the Revenue Bond Oversight Committee on these recommendations. The outlook for audits being completed in the second quarter include the 2021-2022 fiscal year audited financial statements, the franchise fee audits, PG&E and Energy Center for the San Francisco Limited Liability Company, the 2020 through 2021 fiscal year wholesale revenue requirement with respect to the statement of changes in balancing account, the 2021-2022 fiscal year annual comprehensive financial report, the 2021 and 2022 fiscal year popular annual financial report, public integrity assessment, for the SOLAS procurement, the sewer system improvement program contract audit for contract 165 program management, and the information technology operational technology network audit. We also have the 2020 through 2022 California independent system operator scheduling coordinators self audit for Hetch Hetchy, and the revenue lease audit for Crystal Springs Golf Partners Limited Partnership. 
the San Francisco Public Utilities Revenue Bond Programs Audit Phase 2. Other upcoming audits will include the 2021 fiscal year wholesale revenue requirement, the statement of changes of balancing account, and the 2022 through 2023 fiscal year interconnection security agreement, as well as the enterprise risk management cyber security risk assessment. If I'm available for any questions, thank you so much. Thank you so much, and welcome to both of you in your new roles. That's wonderful to have you. Um, any comments, questions, colleague? Um, Go ahead, Vice President Maxwell. I just wanted to also welcome both of you, and we are quite fortunate to have um, such accomplished people working for us. So thank you so much for coming over. Any comments? Um, I also want to say it's great to have a contagious, positive attitude. It's always great to have people who can laugh and bring a lot of brightness to the day. So, Okay. Uh, can we have public comment on this item? Thank you. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number 7B, the audit report, please press star 3 to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present to provide comment on item 7B? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do we have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there is one caller in the queue. Hello, caller. I've opened your line. You have two minutes. The commissioners, uh, I would like to see the audit report on the building 1550 Evans. And I would like to see within that audit who signed on it, the final audit. Uh, this is what we do. Uh, we rejoice that we get some new employees. We comment on their demeanor. That's fine. But I would like to see a final audit on the building 1550. Who signed on it after the quality control was done? Thank you very much. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you, public comment on item 11, I'm sorry, 7B is closed. Uh, item 7D is a report on recent uh, San Francisco Public Utilities Commission activities, events, and announcements. And just a, a real brief thing uh, that I wanted to. Um, sorry, do we have 7C? Oh, you're right. <laughs> Apologies, 7C. <laughs> Lower Tuolumne River Fall Run Chinook Salmon Background and Update. Uh, Bill Sears will be presenting. I apologize. Well, good afternoon, Commissioners. Um, my name is Bill Sears. I'm a Science and Policy Analyst with um, Natural Resources Division here at the SFPUC. Uh, so today I'll be presenting uh, a little biology for you. Um, on Fall Run Chinook Salmon and Lower Tuolumne. Um, we're gonna cover the Fall Run Chinook life cycle. We'll talk a little bit about how we monitor the population on the Lower Tuolumne River. Um, and then we'll look at the escapement today. That's the number of adult fish that are coming to the river. We'll talk about some history and challenges that have, uh, this run has faced. And then we'll talk about the plan for some future updates to the commission that we'll have for you. And, okay. So I'm just going to talk briefly about the Fall Run Chinook life cycle. This is somewhat of an old school um, diagram. 
Um, but it's an illustration essentially of the fall wrench and the life cycle in respect to the calendar, which you can see there at the bottom, but also in respect to the natural hydrograph. Um, and you can see that in kind of light gray in the background. And um, right now we're in this area in the blue square. Uh, this is where um, foreign adults are coming into the river to spawn. And um, you can see the adults basically come in during low flows uh, in the fall, like right now. Um, and that later in the time, as you go into the spring, you have smolts that are out migrating on higher flows, usually on the snowmelt um, flows that are coming from the river. Um, after that period of time where they're out migrating, uh, smolts will spend between two to four years at sea, and they'll come back as adults. Okay, so what is escapement? Gotta remember to turn the slides. So escapement's literally uh, adult fish that are escaping harvest and mortality uh, to arrive back in the rivers as adults. Um, if you're to look at this mathematically, essentially it's the number of juveniles that go out in the spring and subtracting out mortality that are, they're experiencing and harvest that they're experiencing. So you have Lower Tuolumne, the San Joaquin River, the Bay Delta, you have ocean mortality, you have harvest in the ocean and freshwater environment, and then you have some pre-spawn mortality, which are adults that potentially die just before they're able to spawn. And that would get you our natural fall run um, escapement. This does not include escapement that happens from hatchery fish that are coming into the system from other river systems and hatcheries. And we'll talk about that in a minute. So how do we know what's happening with these fish on the Tuolumne, the lower Tuolumne? So there's two main ways we monitor the population on the Tuolumne River. Uh, adults are counted on their way in, and those there's a, a spot on the map here in the middle that indicates the lower Tuolumne River adult counting weir. This is a place where they count adult fish coming in. And then we have two locations on the river. These are called rotary screw traps, and they track juveniles in the spring that are heading out of the river. Um, the two traps serve not only to give us the total number of juveniles that are heading out of the river, but they give us uh, any mortality, they help us understand any mortality that's happening in the Lower Tuolumne River between those two traps. Okay, so how is escapement looking so far uh, this year, this fall? Um, here's a plot showing cumulative Chinook passage at the weir. Um, and essentially this year is in black, it might be difficult to see there, but um, so this is indicating that we've got relatively low escapement, low numbers of adults so far this year compared to recent years. And when I put this presentation together about a week ago, we were on par with last year, 2021. Um, and updates just from yesterday have us uh, escapement at about 356 fish, which puts us on par with that purple line there of 2020. Okay. So Tuolumne Fall Run have been declining over the decades. Um, this is a plot of escapement from, and I apologize for the very tiny uh, numbers, but it goes from 1952 to 2021. So these population has gone through cycles of abundance in the past. We've had more fish and less fish, um, but you can see um, that they really don't get much of a break over time. There's a series of droughts. We have the ocean fisheries collapse, which basically closed the fishery. Um, in 2008 and 2009. A couple of bright spots are just these wetter years that we have that, that in the past have tended to produce higher um, numbers of fish coming back. And we also had the FERC Settlement Agreement, that's the FSA, 
that was implemented in 1998 that resulted in some higher flows on the river from Don Pedro. So essentially the spring flow escapement relationship has broken down, whereas in the past you would have, uh, with high spring flows, the juveniles, you would have a lot of adults coming back. And that does not work. It hasn't worked for the last 15 years or so. Um, there used to be this really clear relationship, but it does not seem to be working. So this is escapement again, just like the last slide, but we've got spring flows superimposed over it two and a half years later. And that just basically shows the breakdown there in the last three peaks to the right. Okay, so what are some of the contributing factors to low escapements? Um, one is that uh, juveniles simply don't survive their trip, uh, their out-migrating trip to the uh, ocean. They don't make it typically. Um, also, the Tuolumne escapement is primarily hatchery fish. They're not fish that are coming from the Tuolumne. And due to these hatchery strays that are coming in, we've lost the natural Tuolumne-adapted fall run population. This natural population that was adapted to the Tuolumne is essentially gone. Um, and one other factor that comes into play is that hatchery-derived fish that are spawning in the river and have juveniles that are coming out of the river, they have lower productivity in general um, than the natural fish would. Um, one problem is that commercial um, and recreational harvest doesn't distinguish between natural and hatchery fish. So the natural fish are being captured at the same time, the hatchery fish, and that's also reducing the natural population. Hmm. Um, and just for context, the commercial harvest for all of Central Valley Fall Run Chinook um, over 2014 to 2018 has been somewhere between 53% and 68% of the adult population. We've obviously, we've had drought, the ocean conditions collapse that, that I mentioned earlier. And then in sequential dry years, like this one, where we've you know, had several dry years, um, we have non-native invasive plants, uh, one in particular called hyacinth that tends to block passage in the San Joaquin River and also in the Tuolumne River. Okay. So what are we doing about it? Well, the SOPUC is party to an agreement. It's called the Voluntary Agreement. I think you're familiar with it. Um, and it contains measures that uh, are designed to increase productivity and survival in the river for juveniles. There's habitat restoration that is ongoing. Um, the VA includes floodplain rearing flows. Um, it includes larger spring pulse flows that are designed to increase juvenile survival. And there's a predation suppression component in there that should also increase survival. Um, but I just think it's important to note that these hatchery strays will continue to undermine our efforts despite you know, all the additional work because they're continuing to degrade the natural population in the Tuolumne River. So um, just to briefly mention where these hatcheries are, there's five of them. Um, four of them are operated in, uh, by the California Department of Fish and Wildlife. One's operated by the United States Fish and Wildlife Service. Um, and they're located throughout the Central Valley from south to north there. Okay, so moving on. So what's next um, for us? Uh, in December and January, we'll provide some additional updates on escapement for you. These are adult fish coming in again. And then moving into um, winter and the early spring, uh, we'll have some updates on the juveniles that are heading out of the Tuolumne River and the counts of those fish that we have. Turning to the Upper Tuolumne River, um, we will provide you with updates on our Upper Tuolumne River Ecosystem Program. 
Um, and in particular, we'll provide updates on our spring ecosystem management releases. These are releases, snowmelt releases from O'Shaughnessy Dam. And we'll do that in March and then a follow-up in September. And that's all I have for you today. Happy to answer any questions. Thank you. Uh, go ahead, Vice President Maxwell. Thank you. Um, how do the uh, hatchery strays degrade and um, <clears throat> yeah. the, the natural? Yep. How, how does that happen? It's a process called introgression, um, and it's genetically based. So you have hatchery fish that um, have certain traits that have been bred into the hatchery population. They're not specific to any tributary. They're not adapted to any specific tributary. They're adapted to the hatchery environment. Um, and when you, those fish spawn or breed with the natural fish that are more adapted, you have a dilution, essentially, to say it simply, of the genetics that are uh, present in the natural fish. And when you do that over multiple generations, you end up with a single homogenized genetic strain, which you now have in the fall run Chinook in the entire Central Valley. So all these fish are essentially the same. They're straying around in the Central Valley. Did you, did you mean to do that? Was that done on purpose? Did I didn't you do not, anything. somebody not know it was going to happen? Was it like, oops? So there's a long history to that, oh. um, and I'm happy to explain it briefly now. Um, so uh, the production hatcheries, particularly the California Department of Fish and Wildlife hatcheries, um, they were initially established to make up for losses of productivity due to building of dams and gold mining. Oh. Um, so they were meant to make up for that lost population when all of the dams were going in. Um, over time, as conditions have degraded in the Bay Delta um, and in some of the tributaries, they've had to release some of these hatchery fish away from the hatcheries. Typically, if you released a fish, an adult fish or a juvenile fish at the hatchery, it would come back to that hatchery if it was able to travel down the river. If it's unable to travel down that river and it's been released far away from that tributary, it won't know where it's going. And so that's why we call them strays, because they end up going other places. So so did we mean to do it? Um, I think it was a, you know, a primary effort of trying to bolster the population to still have a fall run population. The trade-off with that, of course, is that we now have this homogenized population of fall run, and that could be part of the reason why we see these declines across the Central Valley in fall run populations. Is that helpful? Yes, thank okay. you very much. Good. Good. Come here, Paulson. I think you're going to flesh it out in a further report, but um, you did a point of time and uh, a, an, an indicated a, a piece that happened. Spring um, flows. Could you just flesh that out? Just summarize what a what a spring uh, um, pulse flow is. What a spring pulse flow is. Sure. So um, I showed a slide there, which um, had the hydrograph as one of the early slides. Had the hydrograph behind the fall run Chinook life cycle. Right. Spring flows essentially function to move juvenile fish out of the river. Um, they essentially can ride that flow out, and that's a very natural phenomenon under the natural conditions. A pulse flow is essentially meant to mimic that natural pulse flow that happens in the snowmelt to push fish out in the springtime and move them past poor water conditions, uh, predation, and other issues that uh, might result in their mortality as they head out of the river. This is what is happens naturally, but you're just adding the release piece to it. Is that what you're saying? 
Um, I don't quite understand. You're not doing anything to the river. You're just this is just uh, a function of the spring when there are certain releases. Is that? Um, it's not necessarily spill, if that's what you mean. It's usually like on the lower Tuolumne River, um, which functions slightly different than the upper Tuolumne River because Don Pedro doesn't spill as often as, as Hetch Hetchy does. Mm -hmm. At Don Pedro, those releases are intentional because the reservoir is so large, it can typically hold most of the water that's coming in. So those are intentional releases. They're turning valves to turn up the, the water so that okay, it's moving the it. fish out. I got it. Thank you. I have a few questions. Um, on the slide that you had uh, with the escapement, um, yeah. the number of Chinooks, I, I noticed that there is like sort of like a shift in time. Um, for example, you have between 2016 and 22. I don't know if somebody can bring that slide up. Um, I noticed you have gone from like September 16th all the way to, or like the, you, October 1st to October like 16th, 17th. Is that something that, um, is that a, like a, if you look at historical data, would we see this shift happening? Is this something related to later um, um, rain events we are seeing, uh, yeah. climatic patterns, do we know? Yeah, we don't know. Um, Every year is slightly different. Um, sometimes it has to do with when they actually put the counting weir in because they take it in and out every year. Okay. Sometimes conditions aren't conducive to actually having it in there. If there's high flows, for example, they have to hold back until flows come down a little bit. Um, there's natural variation in when the adults come back. Um, it's usually within a two week period, a month period for sure when you start seeing fish. There could be tributary specific things that are happening too. There might be delays. Um, due to flow or due to hyacinth, for example, that I mentioned earlier. Um, and pulse flows um, in the fall, there's also pulse flows in the fall in addition to spring right now. Um, those are meant to kind of help with some of those conditions, improve conditions so that fish can start moving through the rivers so that there's no blockages or ideally minimizing blockages um, and keeping the fish moving. So there's lots of things that could go into that timing. Um, so I don't know specifically this year necessarily what's happening there. Um, why okay. different. And then um, as you're looking at the, I think the next slide, I was just mm -hmm. looking. Um, so you have, um, so, okay, so actually I'm gonna come back to this. Yeah. Um, we have, uh, you're, you're, you're talking about the difference between hatchery fish and the natural fish. Yeah. And I'm just wondering if you have a statistics on do we know, first of all, how easy it is to, rec to kind of recognize between the two? Mm -hmm. um, and then um, how do we know what percentage are natural, what percentage are stray? And I'm assuming if they are um, sort of mixing, eventually at that, that point, you're sort of losing that natural uh, genes very quickly, right? Yeah. A natural fall run genetic adult will look exactly the same as a uh, hatchery fish. Okay. except that California Department of Fish and Wildlife Service mark 25% of the hatchery fish that they release. So, and that mark is they basically cut what they call the adipose fin. It's a single fin that they cut. That's a visual thing. Mm -hmm. They also mark them by putting tags inside their bodies that you can scan so you can know where that fish is coming from. Um, so the counting weir that's on the Tuolumne has a camera on it that takes an image of each fish that's coming oh, through. Okay. And you can tell which fish is marked 
that cut fin and which isn't. So we know how many marked fish have come through. We don't necessarily know how many hatchery fish have come through. So we can do some statistics later, and the California Department of Fish and Wildlife Service does this to figure out, it's basically a mark recapture study. They try to figure out how many hatchery fish were actually showing up. Okay. And they use the tags and the marking to figure that out. So obviously this is a guesstimate based, I mean, some mathematical equation that kind of it's gives us a sort of like a, some sort of like statistics. Right. Yep. Um, but do we know what, what are the percentages? Percentages are very high. Um, okay. uh, so, and they vary by year. Um, and there are, you know, error bars around those estimates. They can be, um, I don't have specific years on my mind necessarily, but, you know, anywhere between 50% and 100% are estimates okay. um, in maybe the last five years. Don't quote me on that. Okay. But we could certainly provide you with the estimates that we do have. Unfortunately, California Department of Fish and Wildlife Service, um, their analysis of the number of hatchery strays that are going to different um, streams in the Central Valley um, that work is often delayed by five to ten years, so we don't have mm. up-to-the-minute information or even annual information on how many hatchery fish are actually showing up in some of our streams. So, okay. so that the, the knowledge, the understanding of hatchery um, is limited. Um, there have been proposals, and you know, I think we've been advocates of this, which is um, to do 100% marking instead of 25% marking of these hatchery mm -hmm. fish so that we could count them in real time uh, in, the in the counting weir so we know exactly. Is it like a hard thing to do or is it more like a... It's a expensive, oh, is I it think. Expensive? I think it's okay. labor intensive. They do have machines now, apparently, that will okay. be able to process fish and do some of that work, but um, I think it's expensive. Is there any way that they can introduce some biodiversity into the fish that they're in the hatcheries? Like, yes. Okay. Yeah, and there are recommendations from uh, a, a group called the Hatchery Scientific um, uh, uh, Review Group, I think is what it was called. This is a congressionally appointed um, panel that was um, basically tasked with providing recommendations for how to improve the hatchery uh, stock in the, in the, sorry, in the Central Valley. Um, one of their recommendations was 100% marking. One of their recommendations was also to um, essentially uh, reduce the amount of uh, off-site releases that they do away from the hatcheries to mm -hmm. reduce the amount of straying. The further you, you know, release fish from a hatchery, the more they're going to stray, the more likely it is that they're going to stray. Um, those are two of the recommendations that came out of that panel. Um, the hatcheries have been implementing some of these things. Um, there's a whole program around genetic management plans, mm -hmm. and the hatcheries have been working towards that. Um, but uh, there hasn't been major movement on either marking that I'm aware of on, you know, marking or uh, ceasing on off-site releases. Off-site releases are really tricky because um, you do need to, um, you know, <laughs> now with some degraded conditions, especially in like a third year of a drought, mm -hmm. um, those fish that are, if they're released at the hatchery, they may not make it, many of them may not make it to the ocean. So there's this trade-off between oh. having more stray fish, but having annually more hatchery fish out there for harvest or, you know, whatever the uses there are, um, and this genetic kind of adaptation to the, to the individual rivers. So it's a real trade-off. It's a tricky setup we've kind of put ourselves into, um, but I want to make this commission aware of, you know, that factor um, on the Tuolumne because I think it's significant. It's significant throughout the Central Valley. Um, thank you. And the, going back to the graph that we were just looking at, yeah. actually, 
So what I notice is like starting in around 2000 or late 90s, you can see like this significant <clears throat> drop, right? So it's not it's drought and recovery, drought and recovery, but we see a significant drop since the 2000s, right? Yeah. Obviously, we have been in extensive, it's like you know, more frequent droughts, more severe yeah. droughts. Um, um, but it kind of makes me wonder, you know, it's it's important to acknowledge that the flow had has something seriously to do with this sort of thing, right? It does. In the next slide, however, um, you know, it's really clear that the spring flow has decoupled from that pattern. Oh, that's what you were trying to show here. Yeah, so you're saying sorry if I didn't make that clear. There is a flow, but yeah. there is a recovery. But but flow is really important. It's incredibly important. You wouldn't have rivers without flow, obviously. Of course. Um, but but I, I think the thing that I'm trying to highlight here is that the way the system used to work, it's not working that way anymore with respect to spring flows. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that we have a lot of hatchery fish in the system that have never been on the Tuolumne before. They've never, they didn't experience the Tuolumne as juveniles in the spring, so they didn't react. You know, they're not experiencing that higher survival from higher flows in bigger years, mm. um, and therefore they're just coming from the hatcheries, and, and whatever escapement is happening that are hatchery fish, those are the fish that happen to go to the San Joaquin River and travel up to the Tuolumne. Okay, so asking yeah, <laughs> this question another please. way. I think that that's a very good point that the coupling is happening here. But if you, yeah. I mean, the hatchery process didn't start yesterday or no. in 2000. It has been going on for a long, long time, that's right? True. So it's kind of like there needs to be some other thing that's driving this decoupling yes. beyond just hatchery fish, right? Yeah, and if we go back here, uh, there's, there's many factors. Um, so outplanting of hatchery fish uh, began in earnest in like the 1980s in that kind of time frame. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's a few decades ago, um, and that's a very good point. Um, what I see just looking at this plot here is that um, we've had several droughts and the drought frequency seems to be increasing. Um, we also had this ocean fisheries collapse, this ocean conditions collapse. This was a problem where um, the timing of uh, juveniles heading out into the ocean did not line up with a food availability in the ocean, mm. and conditions in the ocean were poor for those fish, for fall run chinook in that particular year, 2008. And as a result, you had an entire cohort of fish um, that didn't make it to adulthood, essentially. And now the hatcheries were still functioning and still had broodstock, so we had more fish to release. Um, but what I think happened there probably is that any natural fish that remained were probably wiped out. And we were left with this hatchery population um, of adults in the ocean. And, and I think what we're seeing, at least for the Tuolumne, is that um, we're seeing much smaller responses um, to all of the, you know, anything that's being done, essentially, because we've got this hatchery population that's not linked to conditions on the Tuolumne and um, are not adapted to the Tuolumne River or the Stanislaus River or the, you know, the Merced River or any of, any of those, any of the... the so I, I really like what you mentioned there, but I was wondering if there is a data that shows that um, that fish, ocean fishery collapse led into more hatchery fish coming back versus natural fish, then that way we sort of can test that hypothesis and see if that's the case there. I mean, at some point, we yeah. have to be able to kind of put these pieces together and figure out what works, what doesn't work, right? Um, obviously, flow is important. Yes. Now, 
yes, there is some level of decoupling happening. We need to look at other things that can be helpful um, in addition to the flow, uh, but we need to know what is it that matters that, yeah. that can help us to make the right decisions. And I mean, I, I'm all about habitat restoration and, doing, and trying to um, prevent more, you know, greater collapse yeah. of the species, but the, also the question is, is that the way to go or is there something else we can do and yeah. you know and I'm, I'm still very curious at some point I would love to see what happened in that 2008-9 was it uh, sort of uh, across California coast that this happened was it just sure. basically in the Bay Area in the um, you know uh, in the Delta and the um, you know, Golden Gate um, uh, area that mm -hmm. we sort of where the where the, the Central Valley, the Central Valley, or yeah. actually where the river meet the ocean, right in the yeah. uh, uh, in the um, in San Francisco Bay. So, kind of like I'm very curious to know how was this. So, how we can sort of take these pieces out and better understand yeah. what's going on, because otherwise we're just like. You know, having all these hypotheses, which we have no way of proving, and we're throwing money at things that might not necessarily work, or we're committing to things that might not be helpful, right? And at the end of the day, we are a utility committed to the environment. We want to make right. sure we can we can survive yeah. with the ecosystem surviving at the same time. So, um, you single-handedly with your team will figure <laughs> this out. Yeah. No. No. No problem. Uh, we will definitely provide more information. We can we can get you a summary of what happened specifically in 2008-2009 timeframe, um, and happy to provide you with any other information you need. Um, uh, you know, the voluntary agreement does focus on a lot of the in-river um, things that we see that could be improved, including habitat restoration, including spring pulse flows. Those are things that improve productivity, sure. and some of the modeling that was done by the districts have shown that that should increase productivity. Um, but the increase in productivity on the Tuolumne River doesn't necessarily mean that those fish will make it because we don't have control conditions in the Bay Delta necessarily, or the ocean certainly, um, doesn't mean that we'll get more fish back. Right. Um, so we can do things within the Tuolumne River to improve things, and that's what we're focused on. Um, but there are certainly other things like this hatchery issue that are happening outside of our realm of influence that. Um, that, that could be using, you know, to have some improvements as well. Yeah, I mean, we real, definitely need a holistic approach to this problem, yeah. broader than just one counting fish or trying to make sure that we have all the right tools in place to help us to um, protect the fish while you are so sort of um, meeting the reliability we require to meet right. and all that at the same time. Yeah. Thank you. You bet. Any, any other comment? Oh, sorry, uh, Vice President Maxwell. Could you give me an example of the genetic management plan? Genetic management plan? Mm -hmm. um, that's essentially trying to bring more diversity, uh, genetic diversity, into a spawning program that they have in a hatchery. Um, so you're not picking you know, the same fish from year to year or the same lineage of fish from year to year. You're trying to just increase the genetic diversity. So would that have anything to do with getting fish that were um, from the Tuolumne or from certain um, streams that you that would have that genetic ability to go back there, or it could, it could. I don't know that that's what actually happens, um, but certainly bringing fish in from other streams could 
increase diversity. Yeah, and I'd have to look, and I could certainly provide this, I'd have to look into the specifics of how they're implementing those plans or, or how they have implemented them. We could provide that. And then um, contributing factors, it says, one was uh, non-native invasive plants. Yes. Um, blocking yeah. adult migration uh, during dry years. Yeah. So could you flesh that out just a sure. bit? Sure, there's a plant called hyacinth. Um, if you have a pond, you've probably bought hyacinth and put it in your pond for your koi. Um, it is a very invasive plant in the Central Valley where it's very warm all summer long. This plant grows into mats. Those mats of vegetation can span the entire river, um, especially after several years where they haven't been flushed out by very high flows. Um, those mats grow and grow, the plants die, new plants grow on top, and they can create kind of this deep mat of vegetation that can create blockages or at least discourage fish potentially from coming through. Um, fall pulse flows are meant to move some of that out. It doesn't always do that, um, but that's what it's meant to do. Um, so that's kind of the situation. This is a problem on the Tuolumne River. It's a problem on the San Joaquin River main stem too downstream. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I have one last question. Are there other um, hatcheries out in the world that are dealing with this genetic yes. biodiversity that yeah. we can learn from? The Columbia River is another good example of where they've had some hatchery issues uh, that are somewhat similar, yeah. And they have solutions that they have tested and it works? The same problems, some of the same problems that we face in the Central Valley. I think the scale of the Central Valley is pretty significant. Um, but of course, the Columbia River has m multiple runs of salmon, just like the Central Valley does, but they're different. Um, but no, hatch the, the problem with uh, production hatcheries is a universal problem. There is an alternative, which produces many fewer fish, but it's called a, a conservation hatchery. Um, that's really tightly managed. The National Marine Fisheries Service manages a few conservation hatcheries. Um, they have very small production there for, for example, for coho salmon on the, on the central coast here near Santa Cruz. Um, but they're hard to scale up because they're very labor intensive because they take, take that genetic management and raise it to a very high level. And they, they make sure that they're breeding in natural fish constantly to keep the genetics uh, diverse. Okay. And in Europe, we don't know. Um, you know, I'm not very familiar with what's happening in Europe. Um, certainly, um, you know, on the, on the East Coast, there's Atlantic salmon. Um, there have been attempts to manage um, genetically Atlantic salmon. Um, but uh, it, it is a universal problem in terms of uh, diluting the genetics, creating homogenization of, these, of, of salmon in general um, in terms of... And, and hatcheries are always a double-edged sword because you're able to produce a lot of fish but in order to do that, they're not always, um, they're, they're gonna be homogenized because that's the way to do it quickly. You take one or two or three fish, you use all of their eggs, mm -hmm. you produce all of the young from them, and that's just not very diverse. Right. Yeah. Thank you. And yes, go ahead, please. Yeah, I just had one quick question. Mm -hmm. Is there a mitigation program in place for the hyacinth um, that yeah. seems like it's blooming all over these rivers. Yeah. I mean, I think it would be, you know, obvious that's, that's something right. that we can do uh, immediately to try to, you know, help these uh, salmon. Yeah. Uh, the California Department of Boating and Waterways addresses um, issues that have to do with, you know, 
boats trying to get through the Central Valley and the rivers. That's a big problem in the Stockton shipping channel, um, and they're very active there. They have been active on San Joaquin tributaries in the past. Um, their efforts involve manual removal, where they take barges and they actually drag the hyacinth up onto the barge and take it away to a dump. Um, it also involves spraying an herbicide to try to kill some of the plants. They usually do both. Um, I know that California Department of Boating Waterways is involved in changing the way they operate now. They're, they're bringing on contractors and they're trying to increase their capacity, essentially. So um, I know that irrigation districts have been in touch with California Department of Boating and Waterways on this issue. Um, and I could certainly provide you with more information on that. I, I, I don't, I'm not close to that, that particular issue. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Madam Secretary, can we have public comment, please? Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item 7C, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present to provide comment on 7C? <coughs> See none, Mr. Moderator, do we have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are five callers in the queue. Hello, caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. The commissioners, when we have a presentation given from one angle or one entity, we need to invite the federal agencies. Let us see what they have to say. The gentleman did not mention once about the temperature of the river. You all have heard it before in the workshops. None of y'all could ask him a question about the temperatures in the river and the algae and the pesticides. And the SFPUC suing Sacramento. Are we going to have an amicable way of addressing the solution? Or are we going to hurt the salmon more? All this gooblet group about the nurseries, let us get the agencies, the federal agencies, and I'm going to contact them and Call the federal agencies and let's see what the hell is happening. SFPUC should be on the progressive side. As the commission, you all have to lead the way. Good leaders know the way, go the way, and show the way. You all have not commissioners. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. Uh, hello, yes, thank you. Uh, my name is Cedric Sudeau-Bourgeois-Bierre. I'm a customer of the Hetch Hetchy Water uh, on the peninsula. Uh, the cumulative uh, Chinook passage graph with counts from the last six years show that essentially each year the counts go down, down, down. The page six graph of 12 in the fall run only goes back to 1952. It does not show counts before the 1919 to 1923 building of the Shohanati uh, Dam, which created the Hetch Hetchy River. No doubt, the historical salmon count 
that had been taken and recorded would have been far higher than the, even the highest number shown in that graph. I took an average of the available data for the years before the San Pedro Dam was built until two years after the 21-year period. And that period with its uh, cycle of peaks and valleys had an average of 11.5 thousand salmon. In the most recent 21 years, in contrast, it had an average of 2.2 thousand salmon. That's a 80% decline uh, from the from the uh, initial 21 years. The latest number of uh, about a half a thousand is a 99% reduction from the shown uh, historical values of about 40,000 salmon. And even compared to the 30,000 salmon, uh, it's a 98% reduction. So the salmon are plummeting. They have plummeted. The staff report implies that there's a disconnect between the spring flows and the salmon jumps because of the high percentage of hatchery salmon found in the following years. But this does not take into account this 98% reduction of quality salmon as the reason why the hatchery fish predominate. It does not make sense to totally destroy the salmon habitat and then use its low uh, salmon count as an excuse to no longer offer adequate flows which are needed to restore the salmon. The voluntary compromise is irresponsible and it does not adequately cure greater flows. We need to reverse. Thank you for your comments and sorry your time has expired. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. Uh, thank you. Uh, Barry Nelson with Golden State Salmon Association again. And thank you for agendizing this item. I hope you'll do it annually. I hope also you'll consider doing one uh, addressing the health of the Bay Delta system downstream. The PUC has tended to ignore the existence of the Bay Delta story. Uh, two points I'd like to make. First is with regard to the, the slide you've been discussing, your bill's slide number seven about populations on the Tuolumne and relationship with flow. I, I just want to point out that as staff admits, um, until relatively recently, there's an extraordinarily strong connection between flows and salmon populations on the Tuolumne River for decades. Frankly, in the natural world, you seldom see such a clear, simple correlation, very consistent with peer-reviewed science, consistent with our community's presentations in a science workshop a year ago, consistent with the NIMS peer review of your own fish model. I would point out there's no similar relationship for hatchery production showing uh, a similar relationship with impacts on salmon populations. Um, hatchery production has been relatively safe for decades. Um, that's not the cause. The, the, that flow uh, population as, as that flow population connection, as staff points out, is not as clear in recent years. But the problem is not that we've raised fish and hatcheries. The problem is that we're killing our wild salmon eggs and juveniles, what staff in, in their slide calls out-migration. Fish are not surviving their out-migration. That is absolutely clear, and, and I'd urge you to take the time to review science, the science there. I also sent you a slide yesterday that shows that the Tuolumne River has the worst record of, in the last 30 years of any river in the Sierra Nevada. It's not a coincidence that that's because in part, largely because the colony has among the worst flows in the system. It's a really disturbing pattern. Uh, we're seeing steady catastrophic decline. Thank you for your comments. I'm sorry your time has expired. Next caller. 
Your line is open. You have two minutes. Thank you. Peter Druckmeyer, Tuolumne River Trust. I want to point out a pretty big problem with slide number six. That's the salmon numbers over the years. Uh, this slide uses two data sources. So there are carcass surveys until 2008 and then the Tuolumne year after that. And these are very different counts. Um, I took a look and I compared them since 2009, and the Tuolumne weir counts are two and a half times higher than the carcass surveys. So those bars at the end there on the far right, they should be two and a half times lower than they are. Now, whether this was intentionally misleading or just a pretty big error, this slide needs to be corrected and redistributed. Um, my main point is um, I sent you a letter yesterday. Um, didn't hear any references to it, so I don't know if you have read it. But the, um, the salmon have spoken. And when I say that, I refer back to a comment that Commissioner Moran made a few years ago when we proposed an interim uh, proposal that the SFPUC could voluntarily contribute its share of the Bay Delta plan flows for at least two years. And if we hit a third dry year or fourth dry year, certain trigger, uh, revert back to the current base flows and you'd still make it through the, the design drought. And there was some interest on the commission, and uh, Commissioner Moran said, you know, I'd like to see the salmon speak. And you have an early implementation project, habitat restoration, which is good, but very small, won't really move the needle. But the salmon have spoken, and I sent you that information yesterday. Um, it, it included a table comparing uh, juvenile salmon survival in the Tuolumne, not Ocean or Bay Delta, for six years. In a wet year, 265,000 juveniles with 74% mortality. In a, in a critically dry year, 51,000, far fewer juveniles, and 98% survival. Um, I agree with Mr. DeCosta. You need to hear from federal. Thank you for your comments. Sorry, your time has expired. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. Uh, thank you. Uh, I'm Dave Warner from Palo Alto. Uh, thank you, Commissioners, General Manager Herrera, Mr. Sears, and staff for the Fish Passage Report and for planning to provide regular updates. Uh, that's excellent. And thank you, Commissioners, for the thoughtful questions and discussion. In my opinion, the purpose of the periodic report is that Commissioners should have current tangible evidence of the state of the Tuolumne ecology, how it is, particularly given that the environmental stewardship is an important part of the SFPUC's mission, and I appreciate you taking time on this. So far, as you've discussed, the data is quite bad. It is, of course, many of our hopes that actions will be taken which results in improvements in the data, ideally in a time frame when you are still serving the commission. A comment about the chart. All the trends, 2016 to 2022, are poor, and 2021 was exceptionally poor. You can see this from the chart showing decades of Tuolumne salmon escapement. Uh, going to the 2016 line is not our goal. 2016 was just 3,000 fish. The goal is much higher. If you plot a line on the chart for where we'd like to be, uh, 2016 through 2021 would all be scrunched down at the bottom of the chart, almost indistinguishable from each other. So that's a key reason why it's not there. But again, thank you so much for this chart and the great discussion. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary and Commissioners, two additional callers have joined the queue. Hello, caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. Hi, Commissioners. John McManus, President, Golden State Salmon Association. 
Um, excellent presentation. I'd love to see a follow-up. And I agree with uh, the point that getting some different points of view in would be extremely helpful. The point that river temperatures were never mentioned is crucial because salmon eggs incubating need 53.4 degrees in the river or they die. And the Tuolumne River is commonly warmer than that when the eggs are in the river. Um, to Commissioner Ajami's question about what happened in the year 2000, it's a good question. And I'd like to point to the fact um, that Delta exports increased by about 16% starting in 2000. In fact, between the year 2000 and 2006, three all-time high water export records were set from the Delta. And I would argue this is what set up the collapse in 2008 and 2009. This was not about ocean conditions. This was about too much water being taken out of the Delta. We'd love to see the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission use its influence to help address this. Your current VA proposal does not. We do need more flow in the river and more flow would equate to more outflow through the Delta. Um, you, you saw in the chart that as recently as 1985, you had 40,000 adult salmon returned to the Tuolumne. The river otherwise is in good condition, but for flow conditions. I don't know if I'm still live. It sounds like I just got cut oh, off. That was a 30 second warning. Oh, I'm sorry. Anyway, um, uh, the other point I'd like to make is this business about hatchery fishery your problem. That's not your problem. And the reason they scurry is a plumbing problem. Look at hatchery fish from the American and the Feather Rivers, their truck to the bay. They return to the American and Feather. They do not stray. I assume now I'm cut off. Uh, your time has expired. Thank you for your comments. Hello, caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. Hello there, this is Cindy Charles. I live in San Francisco, native San Franciscan, and um, I'm a board member of the Tuolumne River Trust. I have fished the lower Tuolumne for sand, uh, steelhead, uh, steelhead and trout, but I haven't done that in a long time because uh, the fish, that fishery has been uh, severely degraded. And of course, it pains me to see where the salmon are now. But I do want to share with you, when I was fishing there, in around the year early 2000s, I did catch salmon smoke. And I noticed that on a lot of the reporting of the juveniles of salmon on the lower Tuolumne, I, they're just numbers and there hasn't been much reporting on the condition of the juveniles. When I was fishing and catching those smolts down there, in the years 2000 and a few years later, the salmon juvenile smolts were really large. I mean, they looked like like five and six inch trout. So that means that they were in pretty robust condition. They were hanging in the river longer. They probably had good food source and the temperature, water temperature was adequate uh, to enhance their development before they headed out to the ocean. And so I suggest that when you're looking at the juvenile salmon, that you also, you just don't count the numbers, you look at their condition, because there are probably factors that are contributing to their better condition and size so that they can make it out and avoid 
uh, the predators and, and have the wherewithal to get out through the Delta. So I just wanted to share that. Um, I do want to thank you for putting this item on the agenda. Um, the fish need a lot more attention and I'm looking forward to future reports. So thank you very much. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you, public comment on item 7C is closed. Colleagues, any other comments, questions? I actually, if you don't mind, um, Mr. Herrera, uh, Mr. Sears, I actually did have, I forgot to ask actually, I did have temperature in my list of questions for you and I forgot to mention it. Um, but it would be good to actually have whatever analysis you end up doing, which we would love to see, to include some of the indicators that are reflecting the impacts of climate change in addition to some of the uh, sort of Anthropocene that you're saying, like the activities like you know, pesticides or, you know, or other toxins and pollutants. I think that's obviously might be an important factor. Obviously, these are important to look at historical data. You can't, it's not one pulse thing, so it's kind of like important. Um, another thing I actually had written, and this came up, um, was that I was a little bit uh, sort of, the difference between carcass data and veer data, I had that pointed out today in my list of questions as well. I just forgot to ask, yeah. so, and I appreciate somebody brought it up in the comments. Sure, yeah. Um, okay, so the difference between carcass survey data, so this is, um, this is um, data that the California Department of Fish and Wildlife Service gets every year from many, most of the tributaries in the Central Valley. Um, they've been doing it for a long time. Um, and this is essentially a mark recapture experiment where they're going out and they're finding fish that have already spawned they take their heads off, they take them back to the lab, they find the tags, um, they're inside the fish, and they basically back calculate what the escapement was to individual tributaries. Um, so it's a statistical method. Um, uh, the Tuolumne River Weir data, which came online in 2008, um, that is direct observation of fish moving through a space, a, a weir which is basically something that's blocking the entire channel. Mm -hmm. And there's a small space, there's a camera. Some cases there's an observer there sometimes, but most of the time it's automated. So every fish that goes through is, gets its picture taken and is enumerated, it's counted. So okay. I consider that, and I think many other scientists would consider that a better source of data because it's a direct observation. It's not a statistical extrapolation of right. what a population might be. And that's the reason why we included it in these plots. Okay, I appreciate that. So that data came online in 2008, you said? That's correct. Okay, that's why we switched to this data. Yeah. Okay, yeah. thank you. And just to note yes. that CDFW is still doing their carcass surveys. So Peter had mentioned that there, you know, there is that other data. That other data is around. Uh, typically, as Peter mentioned, those data are they're lower than the weir counts. So I guess, I guess to your point, if we had weir data since 1952, the number of the number of salmon we would have seen would have been a lot more significant than what we have in this. I mean, the point is yeah. these are two different data points yes. ca collected differently. One can be more accurate than the other one, but meaning they're not necessarily exactly the same, so there you know, there are some errors in one versus the other. Uh, there are two different ways to measure the same thing. Right. One statistical, one is a direct observation. Right. right. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Thank you. I appreciate you that. 
Oh, sorry. Um, what, uh, Stacey, please go ahead. Um, I, I, I just wanted to make the comment, and, and Mr. Sears, maybe you can give us a little bit of information, but it strikes me that not only do we need the best science we can come up with on all of the factors that affect the, the health and the, the numbers of the fish, yeah. but it also seems that there are so many different players who have very big influences on what's happening, whether it's um, the health of the bay, the oceans, the, how the fisheries are handled and managed and conducted. Right. Uh, how we collect the science, but I assume that there is a collaborative effort out there with the state and federal agencies as well as all of the other Central Valley uh, river systems. Of course, we need to be leaders and important um, part of that, and we want to be the best stewards we can be. Yeah. I, it just really seems to me that there are so many factors and so many different players um, with the, the health of the fish populations that I, I, I'm interested to hear a little bit about what sort of collaboration is going on out there. Yeah, well, we're certainly working with the state right now on the voluntary agreements. Mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of collaborative processes going on, um, numerous processes, and they have gone on in the past. Some of them have kind of failed or kind of petered out, uh, haven't really resulted in much. Others have provided information um, into the, the world of fisheries management in the Central Valley that has been picked up by others and used. Um, but oftentimes, it's very difficult to get a Central Valley-wide collaborative effort that can uh, globally address a lot of these issues because there are so many different players involved. Um, even specific fisheries agencies don't often agree, or sometimes they do not agree, on things, on data or on ways to manage fish. And so, um, and certainly, you know, utilities and agencies sometimes don't disagree, don't agree. So there's, there's a lot of players, like you mentioned. Um, there isn't really a, a large collaborative process that we could plug into that's, that's easy and is working. Um, there's certainly folks working on towards that. Um, and um, there's a reorienting group that's trying to kind of figure out what recovery would look like down the road um, for many of the runs that are in the Central Valley. Um, we've been tangentially kind of involved in that, um, talking to them. Um, but, you know, those efforts um, are challenging. They're very challenging to bring together all of those interests, the state interests, all the Central Valley water contractors, all the agencies, tribes are being brought into that effort. Um, so there's there's a lot of players. Um, you know, any other comments Mr. Ritchie might want to make on that? I don't know. But um, is that helpful? Okay. Yeah, I guess I would just add just one. The single largest program is the interagency ecological program that's focused on the delta conditions, uh, and that's largely driven by uh, the state and federal agencies, as well as the state water contractors and the Central Valley Project contractors, uh, they've been working on the Delta since 1970 uh, collaboratively. And I do put it in quotes because it's not always been 
very collaborative. Uh, there have been changes over time, uh, but these are very, very, very difficult, uh, you know, things to get answers to. Uh, and that's 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 kind of the nub of this. Is is it'd be great to find the smoking gun. Sometimes the people think they found the smoking gun. It was nutrients from the Sacramento wastewater treatment plant at one point in time. So they did a big program to take care of that. I'm not sure what changed as a result, but they eliminated that problem. So these things keep on going and we keep trying different ways. Uh, and um, that, that's the best we can do right now is keep trying. Thank you. Mr. Herrera, I think. Okay. Item 7D, commissioners, I just wanted, uh, there was a little bit, it, our last commission uh, meeting uh, occurred right after what really was, a, I think, a seminal event for um, our agency, and uh, it was just in the hubbub. I failed to, to talk at all about it, and I know many of you were there, and that was the opening on October 22nd of our new Southeast Community Center down on, on Evans, and it really was a wonderful, wonderful event. You probably read about it in the newspaper, but for those of you that were there, I think you saw uh, what a absolutely beautiful facility it is, and um, I think we can all take pride in the opportunity it's going to provide for um, the broader community in terms of programming and really helping um, uh, the southeast sectors and, and the rest of the cities, quite frankly, the whole city, in terms of youth pro programming and opportunities. And you already, for those of you that were there, but coincidentally, right, when we were opening that, you saw that we were getting our first supermarket uh, located in uh, Bayview Hunters Point, located right across the street. So it's already having some very positive effects. But one thing that I think uh, we should also, um, everybody should really um, uh, appreciate was the tremendous volunteer effort that we had from the agency. Um, there was a great deal of work that was done uh, by um, folks uh, in the agency, but I wanted um, everybody to understand that it was a, an agency-wide commitment, and we had incredible volunteer efforts from folks who were not directly involved in managing the program. Uh, and they were there uh, on a Saturday, and I think it signified uh, the agency-wide commitment and excitement about, um, about uh, the center. And uh, we're just really happy that it's there and um, that the landscaping's beautiful. People are excited. It's great space inside. It's open. It's, it's airy. It's clear. And I think it's a, a wonderful addition and hopefully is, um, signifies um, the agency's ongoing commitment to be a good community partner um, with uh, the folks that um, we work with in the community. So we're very excited about it. So I would be remiss if I didn't, I didn't mention it last time because our, our, hearing, our hearing was right afterwards and I just wanted to make sure that I brought that up. So thank you. Thank you, that was great. Um, really exciting. I, I saw that facility as it was just being built. So it is exciting to see it finished and in operations and people can use it. That's fantastic. Um, Madam Secretary, can you please uh, call the next item? Um, need public comment on this item. Members of the public oh. who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item 7D, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present to provide public comment on item 7D? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do we have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on item 7D is closed. Your next item is item number eight, new commission business. Uh, colleagues, any 
new business. Okay. I think we can move to the next item. Yes, your next item is your consent calendar, item number nine. Colleagues, any comments, questions about the items in the consent calendar? If um, um, seeing none, I guess uh, we need to have public comment on this. Thank yes. you. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number nine, the consent calendar, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present to provide comment on item number nine? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do we have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are two callers wishing to be recognized. Hello, caller, I have opened your line. You have two minutes. Eileen Boken, Coalition for San Francisco Neighborhoods, speaking on my own behalf regarding items 9B as in boy and 9D as in David. I'm not requesting that these items be severed from the consent calendar. That being said, I'm requesting that staff justify why these two contracts are inconsistent with the city's Dig Once policy. The Dig Once policy states that a street will be excavated no more than once every five years and that an excavation would involve all work needed, sewer, water, gas, fiber optic, internet, etc. The Dig Once policy was designed to minimize the funding needed and minimize the impacts on the surrounding neighborhoods. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Hello, caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. Great, uh, David Philpel again. I also have comments on 9B as in boy and D as in David and do not need either of them uh, severed. So on uh, item 9B, uh, I read the materials uh, carefully. Uh, I got more from the environmental documents than I did from the staff report on the condition assessment. Um, I think it's important for the uh, box in the staff report um, on background to have uh, more information on the background of uh, assets to be uh, replaced or rehabilitated. And it really doesn't say, it says, constructed primarily in the 1920s. It doesn't say that there was recent assessment and that the staff deems that they're uh, problematic and needs to be replaced and anything about that. So I think more verbiage is needed in that box in the future on similar items. There's also no discussion of coordination with other PUC and MTA projects uh, in the area, let alone development, uh, pump station across the street, et cetera. Um, or the great highway closure and the traffic impact on uh, 46th Avenue and other uh, locations nearby. So I think that verbiage is missing. Um, I don't have a huge problem with the, the work, but there's that. That's 9B as in boy. On 9D, uh, I found a typo in the second whereas uh, clause. Let me go to that. On on the resolution, whereas on August 8th, it says 2011 and should read August 8th, 2022, uh, as the staff report indicates. And I think you can amend the resolution prior to adopting it. Uh, those are my comments on the consent calendar. Thanks for listening. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on consent calendar item nine is closed. 
Just uh, one, one quick comment I had on actually those two items was um, I wonder if as we are sort of doing these um, replacements, if we can use that opportunity to digitize the location, the, you know, the maps that we are pulling out to do this. I think you know, we need to find some form of an opportunity to build up on our digital directory of our assets. So this might be one opportunity to do that. So just, just a thought. Um, colleagues, any, any comments? Can I have a motion and a second on this? So moved. And does it need to be uh, for item nine be as amended? Since the resolution is 2011 rather than 2022? That is, yes, as amended we could do item uh, 90 as amended on the, re yeah. on the resolution. Okay, so I guess we have a motion and second to um, have a roll call for the amended, uh, for the consent all calendar. the con consent calendar. With them in, with in them the amended 90. 90. Yes. yes, thank you. President Ajami. Good question. Oh yeah, go ahead. So what is the amendment? Uh, you're talking about the- I'm oh, sorry, have Commissioner Paulson, can the, you speak into the, the mic? Comment? Yeah, there was a date, in, the date on the resolution. It came from the public comment. Yes. Okay, thank yeah. you. President Ajami. Aye. Vice President Maxwell. Aye. Commissioner Paulson. Aye. Commissioner Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. You have five ayes. Item passes, thank you. Uh, can we have the next item, please? Next item is item number 10, discussion and possible action to amend resolution 17-0155 to authorize a general manager to execute an amendment to the installment sale agreement and grant state revolving fund loan and grant for the San Francisco Westside Recycling, Recycled Water Project Increasing the not to exceed loan and grant amount from one hundred and eighty six million two hundred and twenty thousand to one hundred and ninety one million ninety four thousand thirty one and extending the grant agreement's estimated construction completion date to October seven, twenty twenty four. Welcome. Andrea Gatnell. I am the grants and loans manager serving on Nancy Holmes business services team. This item before you is a request to authorize the general manager to execute an amendment to the state revolving fund loan that provides low interest financing to the West Side Recycled Water Project. This amendment would increase the loan grant, loan and grant agreement value from a not to exceed total of 186 million to 191 million and extend the term of the financing agreement for an additional 28 months. This is one of nine state revolving fund or SRF financing agreements that SFPUC has executed with the State Water Resources Control Board since 2014. The low interest rate loan and grant funds provided under the SRF program provides a cost savings alternative to revenue bond financing for water and wastewater capital projects. The original resolution to execute the funding agreement was approved in 2017. And since that time, the project budget and duration have increased, and those changes to the project have been approved by the commission. This amendment would improve the alignment between the loan agreement that we have with the state and the schedule and budget of the project. Happy to take any questions that you might have on that. Colleagues, any comments, questions? No. Thank you so much. 
Uh, can we have public, public comment on this item, please? Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number 10, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present to provide comment on item 10? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do we have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are two callers in the queue. Hello, caller, I've opened your line. You have two minutes to comment on item 10. Great, uh, David Pilpel again. Uh, I appreciate staff for saving the ratepayers uh, a little money here. Uh, this is really a complicated financing thing, or maybe it's not that complicated, but it's really about uh, financing. Uh, as to CEQA, uh, although I appreciate the reference to the final EIR and the addendum, I really think this is uh, this action today is probably not a project under CEQA under 15378 because it's simply a, a financing or refinancing uh, vehicle and is not um, a project approval um, to my way of thinking. On page seven of the packet, page one, two, three, four, page four of the, excuse me, page three of the resolution, I was trying to find the resolved clause and it took me a while. I think it would help, um, probably doesn't, doesn't require any change in the wording, but um, at the end of the last whereas clause, I would probably say now therefore be it and end it there and start a new paragraph with resolved in all caps as follows so that it's clear that there's actually a, a resolved uh, clause in here somewhere because it tends to get buried before the sections one through uh, six, which I'm sure were carefully uh, crafted to meet the state requirements for the ISA and grant amendment. That's my thought on item 10. Thanks for listening. Thank you for your comments. Hello, caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. I'm invoking Coalition for San Francisco Neighborhoods, speaking on my own behalf. The PUC has received significant amounts of funding from the state for the Westside Recycled Water Project in the form of a loan and grant. On the other hand, the PUC has sued the state over the Bay Delta plan. These two actions could be seen at best as inconsistent, at worst, bad optics. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on item number 10 is closed. Thank colleagues. Uh, if there are no uh, more questions or comments, uh, can I have a motion and a second, please? So moved. Second. Thank you. Uh, can we have, uh, can we take a roll call? President Ajami? Aye. Vice President Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. Commissioner Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. You have five ayes. Excellent. Item passes. Um, Madam Secretary, could you please read the next item? Your next item is item 11, authorize the general manager to request Board of Supervisors approval of a supplemental appropriation ordinance in the amount of 4,579,056 for fiscal year 2020-2023 to implement and administer the Clean Power SF Community Food Service Energy Efficiency Program, 1,526,352 of which to be placed on the controller's reserve to cover the final cost of the program. Funding for the program was approved and allocated by the California Public Utilities Commission from Clean Power SF Ratepayer Public Purpose Program funds. The total CPUC approved program budget is $4,579,056 over three years. 
Okay. Uh, good afternoon, commissioners. Um, my name is Andrew Bevington, an analyst with Powers Clean Power SF Customer Solutions Team. Um, last year, as some of you may recall, the commission approved a Clean Power SF application to the California Public Utilities Commission for funding of a new community food service energy efficiency program. Um, since then, the California Commission has approved our program design and our requested funding. Um, with that California Commission action, we are here today to seek approval to spend those funds. Um, this requires a supplemental appropriation by the Board of Supervisors. If approved, this supplemental appropriation will allow us to spend those, that funding and begin implementing the program. Uh, specifically, Clean Power SF's programmatic budget needs to be increased by $4,579,056 of which $1,526,352, or the final year of the program costs, will be placed on controller's reserve. These funds will be limited to expenditures on the Community Food Service Energy Efficiency Program, and no additional funding for the program is anticipated at this time. Uh, the source of these funds is the Public Purpose Program. Uh, under state law, the California Commission directs the for-profit energy utilities, uh, such as PG&E, uh, to collect these funds from electric and gas distribution customers, including Clean Power SF customers. The California Commission then decides how to spend the funds. Uh, our Community Food Service Energy Efficiency Program is the first time Clean Power SF has been awarded funding from this source, and we're really excited to have that money and get to spend it. Um, we are asking for your vote in support of authorizing the general manager to request that the mayor recommend to the Board of Supervisors the approval of this supplemental appropriation. And I'm happy to answer any questions you may have. That's wonderful. Thank you. Um, any comments, questions? That's exciting. Congratulations. Oh, that you. is really wonderful to see this money is flowing in and will help us to use less energy, yeah. which is good. <laughs> um, can we have public comment, please? Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item 11, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present to provide comment on item 11? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do we have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers. We should be recognized. Thank you. Public comment on item 11 is closed. Colleagues, if there are no more questions or comments, can I have a motion and a second, please? No moved. moved. Second. second. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, can we have a roll call, please? President Ajami? Aye. Vice President Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. Commissioner Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. And you have five ayes. Item passes. Thank you. Um, Madam Secretary, could you please uh, call the next item? Next item is item 12, award contract number PW009R in the amount of $11,500,000 with a duration of 730 consecutive calendar days to VIP Powerline Corporation. Good afternoon, uh, President Ajami, Commissioners. Uh, Ramona Boeg, Deputy Assistant General Manager for SFPUC Power. Uh, we're here to request for you to award the contract number PW009R, the as needed electrical distribution installation and construction support contract to VIP Powerline Corporation. The contract augments existing power enterprise field services staff to provide electric services to Hatch Hatchy power customers throughout the service territory. The services that need to be provided includes the new customer connections to the brand new Bay Corridor transmission and distribution project that we are currently building, 
to the existing electrical distribution network and to support the substation work that we need to continue with the San Francisco uh, airport as well as the new BCTD and also to connect our new customers to the system. So the contract is approximately $11,500,000 for two years. There's an LBE commitment of 6.05%, um, and the, it's under the engineer's estimate of $12 million for two years. So the, the, this RFP was first sent out on December 23, 2021. No bids were received after being out for about four weeks. And then it was re-advertised again in February 2022, and still no bids were received. So on March 22, 2022, by resolution number 220060, uh, this commission authorized the general manager to negotiate a contract with a qualified contractor, as allowed in the San Francisco admin code. Uh, and, and we began negotiations with several qualified firms. Uh, VIP Powerline Inc. or Corporation, they submitted a proposal that accepted, accepted all the city standards, contract terms, and conditions. The price pro proposal, like I said, is below our estimate, and they are qualified to do the work. So I ask for your support on this item 12, and I'm happy to answer questions that, that you may have. Thank you, Commissioner Paulson. Yeah, Deputy Manager, I have a couple of questions, um, and, and I'm going to preface that by saying that I've, in my years on the commission, I've been very uh, pleased with, um, no matter what the enterprise is, the amount of diligence that has um, taken place when you have been interviewing contractors um, to do um, work, and particularly in, in construction. And this one, I understand, um, you know, the difficulties you had. You put the bid out twice and nobody came in. And I know that ebbs and flows based on the economy and, you know, the specifics of, of, the, uh, of the job and, and the needs that are there. But in this one in particular, um, you know, even despite that um, piece, it's, it's, you know, it's very skilled and important work here in the city. And I just have a couple of questions about this company. Um, which I had never heard of until um, I saw it on the agenda today. Do they have a track record of doing this type of electrical work with a staff that um, they've proven that they've been able to use previously? It, yes, they do. Uh, we, inter we interviewed them intens intensively. We met with them a few times and look at their qualifications and check their references as well. They are qualified to do this work. But I'm just asked a specific question. Do they have a staff that is skilled and trained and has been through apprenticeship programs that has been part of that track reference that you went through? Do you know Do we that? have staff? Uh, I'm talking about people that are actually going to do the electrical work if needed with the, with the yeah. enterprise team. So we, we don't have, the, the, the challenge that we have is we don't have sufficient staff to do this work. So um, I understand I, that part. I'm just asking about VIP and their ability to do the work and supplement um, the work that we are obviously are contracting out to make sure that we are covered on these. Yeah. On I'm, I'm sorry, I have a hard time hearing you. I, I said I, I understand that uh, um, that internally there are there are not enough staff to do what you're anticipating in this in this bid so you're contracting it out um, but so I, my question was specifically about VIP if they have a track record of having skilled and, and trained apprentices that have done this work before or if they are going to just wing it. I mean, I guess I just a little yeah. bit deeper into who this organization is and what they are bringing to the table. 
So they do have track record, they have qualified staff, but as far as hiring the specific staff for this work, they have not done that. They're waiting for this contract to be approved. Okay, so they don't have um, like a, a staff of folks to do this stuff, skilled apprentices, electricians, it looks like. No, no, not currently. So not, not in this area, but they do have. Yeah, and they're members of uh, IBEW 1245 or signatory off, so they do have access to 1245 members. 1245 or yes. Local 6, what did you say? They are well, signatory to Local 1245, the utility um, union statewide? Okay. I think you answered my questions. Thank you. Thank you. Any other comments, colleagues? Uh, can we have public comment on the I Thank you so much thank on you. this item. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number 12, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present to provide comment on item 12? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do we have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there is one caller in the queue. Hello, caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. Great, David Pilfell again. So um, I don't want to get in the way of uh, Ramon and Rich Stevens and getting the work done, very supportive, but um, I had a couple of questions uh, somewhat similar to Commissioner Paulson. Does this item, which appears to be essentially a staff augmentation uh, type of contract, which is unusual, does this need some form of approval from the Civil Service Commission or a Prop J approval from the Board of Supervisors? Um, this may be a new approach or some kind of new precedent. Um, I heard the uh, response about um, the staff of this contractor being represented by IBEW Local 1245, but 1245 represents um, private sector and IOS, uh, like PG&E, uh, electrical workers, and IBEW Local 6 represents public sector, including uh, PUC uh, line workers and other electrical workers. So I'm wondering if there's been any type of outreach or consultation with Local 6 about uh, this uh, contract or this approach to augmenting uh, staffing given the current labor environment. It kind of is different and raises some interesting questions in my mind. I'm hoping that you could have um, just a little bit of discussion uh, before considering approving this matter. Thanks for listening. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on item 12 is closed. Is there any clarification on this item? I thought if this you, is you a, a private question, sector. If you, if this you have a question, I'll answer you, Commissioner. Do you have a question? Yeah, I mean, my impression is this is a yeah, private just, sector, I, I, right? Yes. So they need to have a different kind of. Okay. We go we ahead. reached out to Local Six, and we had we, they are they are supportive of our of our uh, of this effort. Is that a fair comment? Yes, we reached out because we wanted to make sure that folks were in the loop, and uh, we reached out to uh, Local Six. They are well aware of what we are doing, and they are supportive. Okay, fantastic. Thank you so much. Okay, um, colleagues, if there are no more questions or comments, can we have a, a motion and a second? So moved. Second. Uh, Madam Secretary, could you please um, take the roll call? President, Mac President Jami? Aye. Vice President Maxwell? Aye. Mr. Paulson? Aye. 
Commissioner Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Stacy. Aye. You have five ayes. Item passes. Thank you. Um, Madam Secretary, please read the next item. Um, next item uh, is public comment on the matters to be discussed during closed session. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number 15 to be heard during closed session, conference with legal counsel regarding ex existing litigation, Oaks versus City and County of San Francisco, San Francisco Superior Court case number CGC-20-585373, date filed July 10, 2020. Proposed settlement of existing litigation by Michael Oaks against the City and County of San Francisco with the city to pay Michael Oaks $95,000 in exchange for a full and final release. Do you have any members of the public present to provide comment on this item? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there is one caller in the queue. Caller, this is on item for closed session. Call your line is open. You have two minutes. Can you hear me now? Loud and clear. Great, David Philpel. Last time today. Um, so today's item description for this closed session uh, matter does not summarize the underlying uh, nature of the claim or litigation. I thought, uh, based on the last closed session in uh, September, that we were now including uh, a line. This does. Uh, indicate that the proposed settlement is for 95000 in exchange for a full and final release, but it doesn't have a line that this involved a personal injury claim or an EEO complaint or a flooding claim or whatever the underlying matter was. And I thought um, we were doing that on agendas going forward. If I could get like a one sentence on what the underlying subject matter is, that would be great. And going forward, if we could be sure to include that in the agenda item description, that would be great. I have no issue with the proposed settlement, don't know about it, not my concern, just um, some summary description of the nature of the underlying claim or litigation. Thanks for listening. More fun next time. Appreciate it. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on item number, uh, item to be heard in closed session is closed. Colleagues, can I have a motion uh, to whether to assert uh, the attorney-client privilege regarding this item? Move to assert. Second. Uh, Madam Secretary, please uh, take the roll call. President Jami? Aye. Vice President Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. Commissioner Rivera? Aye. You have five ayes. Excellent. So we are moving to the closed session.
Okay. Um, um, colleagues, we are back from the closed session. Um, wanted to announce that commission recommended the board to, uh, to, to the board of supervisors approve the settlement under under closed session item 15. Um, I would like to have a motion and second on um, not to disclose, um, or sorry, to disclose. Um, Move not, not to, to disclose. disclose. Yes. Second. Perfect. Thank you. Can I can we have a, a roll call, please? President Jami. Aye. Vice President Maxwell. Aye. Commissioner Paulson. Aye. Commissioner Rivera. Aye. Commissioner Stacy. Aye. You have five eyes. Excellent. The item passes. Um, Madam Secretary, could you please uh, read the next item? Uh, Madam Secretary, or President, that concludes your business for today. Excellent. So the meeting adjourned. Thank you so much. I guess there we go. Thank you.